Six feet matter. Some are quarantined. The county is making a comeback. So this is going to allow millions more Americans to get vaccinated. It will be business as usual in just a couple more months. Here we go. Hey, everybody, this is Stream, the show about life and the best things to stream in quarantine. I'm Bob Christian, and today I am so excited. I'm honestly very excited to have Jackson back on the show. He was actually our fifth and 15th guest on the show. Welcome back, Jackson. Hey, great to be back. So, Jackson, like I said, you're actually a returning champion. You were on Quarantine Stream twice, first on day 11 and then again on day 47, based on LA quarantine time. Oof. So far this season, we've really been looking at the first few weeks of quarantine. So I want to jump ahead to the second episode, your frontiers, New York versus L.A. That was 47 days into quarantine. So roughly a month and a half. Just shooting from the hip. Does that time mean anything to you? Do you remember anything specific from back then? No, it was more just a unsure. I think what was going to happen, you know, when we did the first episode was probably more like we're still in that, oh, this could be over by summer mode. But I think probably, and I don't really remember, but by the time we did that second episode, it was probably starting to set in that this might be a while. Actually, we recorded that episode in late April, beginning of May, and your bet was that things were going to open up by May 24th. <laughs> Oops. So it really hadn't sunken in yet. But you did say you thought it was going to be longer. You said it could be as long as July 4th. <laughs> Guess I was off by about a year. <laughs> I think that first, the first couple weeks were like, yeah, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this, which I think the other guests on this season have, have kind of echoed. But I think right about a month and a half, it was like, this could be a thing. Like we could be doing this for like another whole month, guys. Right. Listening to your episode, uh, you actually had three takeaways that I thought were specifically unique. And so I want to see what you think about them now. Uh, number one, you had considered buying a car just to get away. Two, Diet Coke was really hard to find for you, much harder than any other toilet paper or pasta or anything like that. And three, you said you were surprised that this whole thing, quote, went so easily for you. So looking at it now, did you buy a car? Yes, actually. Oh, you did. Wow. <laughs> so where, where did you go in your car? Well, we, we, did, we didn't buy it soon after that episode. It was closer to fall, like October, I think. But yeah, we started like come fall, we just started using it to go with the dog upstate to, you know, different like harvest festivals or just to get out of town or even just to a park on the upper side of Manhattan that's just easier to drive to sometimes on a weekend. And then we use it to drive down south uh, for the holidays for, for Christmas. I need to know what kind of car this was, at least loosely, because you're basically saying that 2020 turned you into a Richard Gere movie. And so I need to see exactly what this situation was with you driving around with your dog. Was it like a large car? Was it a little like compact mini car? No, no, it's, it's an SUV, a Hyundai Tucson. Ooh, okay. So you are literally a Richard Gere movie. I feel like that's a very Richard Gere choice. I'm not even sure I get the reference. Which Richard Gere movie? Maybe that's just me. I'm a big Knights and Rodanthe fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have made that very clear from the beginning of this. So you said... This was going so easily for you back in May. Would you say, looking back, that this whole thing has gone quite easily for you? Yeah, I mean, when you compare it to a lot of the rest of the world or even country, yeah. You know, I fortunately still have a job. Still, you know, we bought a car. Um, that's all okay. And, you know, luckily, knock on wood, no family members got sick. And, you know, no one immediately close to me got really sick or passed. So, you know, from that aspect, absolutely got through easy. And then the day-to-day -day life, I think we, at least up here in New York, we just adapted. 
you know, there's definitely negatives, but I think all the negatives we got around. I'm curious about one of the negatives. In your previous episode, we were talking and you said you actually kind of wish that you could do the whole pandemic by yourself. And uh, I want to remind everyone, like you said, you do live with your girlfriend and a dog. So no judgment. Uh, but is being a hermit something you're still curious about? No, no, definitely not at all. Oh, really? What's made you change your mind? <laughs> it's still going on a year and a half later. <laughs> <laughs> I think the six-week experiment might have been fun. But um, no, having her and the dog and everything for the last year has been a lifesaver. I got one question about uh, living in New York through all this. As everyone knows, L.A. and New York were hit much, much harder than where I am now in Florida. But when I talk to people in those cities, like, they follow the rules, but they're much faster to embrace the opening up than I was here as Florida opened up. And um, I think some of that might be me not trusting Florida, but I also think it has something to do with me showing everyone in Florida that I take this seriously by making sure I wear my mask all the time, that sort of stuff. For you, as things open back up, are you quick to embrace each new open tier, or do you think there's a connotation to wearing a mask around town and trying to social distance that you are embracing? Yeah, I definitely say I'm always quick to adapt to any new change. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, I kind of trusted the system, and I say kind of, but I, I did. You know, I think because they were so severe on what we could and couldn't do and where we had to wear masks and all that type stuff. And then I look at what the rest of the world is doing or not your world, but the rest of the country is doing, you know, with family down in Atlanta and Florida and whatnot. When we finally got a restaurant uh, that had outdoor seating and that type of stuff, I was like, great. It's been going on in Atlanta for six months now. So it should be fine here. When they opened indoor dining, I had the same thoughts, uh, even though it said lesser percentage. That being said, I still haven't eaten indoors. <laughs> All right. Well, listening to you now and to both your episodes that I've been listening to over the last couple of days, I'm sort of in awe of you. I mean, at least in the beginning, you had such an amazing grasp of the situation. It sounds like you still do. And you've adapted so well. But as you talk about it, it's like you're facing the problems and coming to terms with them, but you're not rubbing your successes in anyone's face. It's more like you're a humble quarantine king. And so uh, congratulations on doing very well so far. But before we can find out if you're ready for a post-pandemic life, we have to fill out your post-pandemic life application. It's a series of questions to help figure out how well you did, how weird things got, and if you're prepared for the time to come. Are you ready to fill out your life application? I am. I do want to make just one comment, though, because you didn't touch on it. The Diet Coke shortage is still real. Really? So it might not be pandemic related. It just might be my neighborhood. I think that's just your neighborhood at this point. <laughs> I think there's something in your neighborhood that's keeping them away from you. Yeah. Have you tried going several blocks? When you go on these long car rides with your dog up to Antique in northern New England, do you look for Diet Cokes there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's never an issue, so. It's just you, Jackson. It's just you. It's where you are. Yeah, it must be. All right. Does that make you feel better about it or worse about it? Like, a real question. Oh, better about it. Okay. Because they're, they're, they're still out there somewhere. <laughs> they're not gone forever. They're just gone. They're gone from every convenient location. Correct. That's how I feel about really comfortable Mexican food. I know it is out there. It is just not a right, right around me right now. But, like, I can't Fair go enough. to it. All right, so let's get on with your questionnaire. You ready? Yep. All right. Uh, scale of one to ten. Zoom cocktail hours. Zero. Wow. I hate them. Have you figured out some other way to stay in touch with your friends, or 
are you just grinning and bearing it? You know, phone calls, just the regular old school communication. Scale of one to 10, your Zoom fashion. Five. So dead middle, what is your go-to Zoom outfit? Most of my Zoom calls are work calls, so it's some sh- sort of, you know, collared shirt. <laughs> they can't see my pants. Yeah, it's, it's pretty boring. It's what I would wear to work. Just a polo. Just a polo, usually with an FSU logo. Yeah. <laughs> Scale of one to five, movies and TV that have been released during the pandemic. I'll go four, I guess. I mean, I, I feel like I haven't watched as many as I probably should have. Still doing a lot of older stuff, but the few things I have seen that are new, I've enjoyed. All right. Now you got to pick a winner of these two things, delivery or takeout? Oh, delivery. Oh, do you have a favorite type of delivery or is it just pizza all the time? Oh, no, it's everything. I mean, I would say 60 to 70% of meals are delivered. Now that's interesting. So that's a New York thing, I think. Yeah. Well, what I'm gonna, so that's interesting because last time on Frontiers New York versus uh, New York versus LA, you said you'd actually become like a personal chef like master, like you'd really gotten into making your own food. That was only 47 days in though. So did you give that up or is ordering food in just like something, an alternative to making your own food? No, definitely still doing a lot of cooking. But, you know, if you think about it, there's count breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's 21 meals in a week. I'm only going to cook a handful of those. So that still leaves a lot of room for takeout and delivery. I've never heard three meals a day put as such a dire consequence of life before that really sounds like you have it super tough with three meals 21 meals a week in your last episode you said you felt like you're missing out on some aspects of pandemic life like some of the crafting and some of the baking people were doing uh do you still feel like that i don't feel like i'm missing out anymore so much i didn't pick up any of those hobbies but is there a hobby that you wish you had picked up i wish i had read more i thought i'd be doing a lot more reading to pass the time, did you develop any new skills, new craft skills, new, uh, besides cooking one of your 21 meals a week, <laughs> do you have any new pastimes? No, I can't really say that I do. I love that you're doing this pandemic so well, but at the same time, you don't seem to be doing very much of anything. That somehow makes you even better at this than I thought that you were. And I don't know how I feel about that because I'm so busy every day thinking that that's going to get me through and you're doing the exact opposite. But maybe it's because I have a full-time job that keeps me busy. All I mean, my, I feel like my routine from day to day hasn't really changed much, right? Instead of commuting to the office, my commute is to the living room. Then I work all day. Sometimes now that you know places are open, I might go after work and have a beer and then bring home food and then watch Netflix and go to bed. But I was kind of doing that before quarantine anyway. Yeah, I don't know if that really worked out for you, if that's just so bleak and you still have to eat 21 <laughs> meals a week. Uh, speaking of going out, after lockdowns were lifted, uh, we all had somewhere we wanted to go. Can you remember like the first place, the first destination? You're like, I have to go here now that it's open. Like, it could be a restaurant, a friend's backyard, a trip, antiquing. So that hasn't happened yet for me. I would say one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to getting back to is going to the theater or going to a concert. And I, we still can't do that. There are concerts going on this summer. Are you planning to go to any of them? Uh, considering. I've looked at some tours, but if you'll notice, none of them come through New York, um, or at least New York City. Um, so I might travel to a show for sure. Absolutely. Anything you're looking at particular? I just saw today that Dave Matthews Band is headlining Pilgrimage in Franklin, Tennessee. I did see that. There's also one in, I just saw that I never heard of in Kentucky and Lexington. That is My Morning Jacket and Dave Matthews. Jackson, I think that concert has your whole, <laughs> your name all over it. 
Yeah. I do have tickets to a golf tournament in August in New Jersey that I'm excited about. Wow. That could be my first live sporting event. Are you going to get dressed up for it? Are you going to put on some kind of loose-fitting pant and a collared shirt like you do for work? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Probably a baseball cap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of New York, in your first episode, you talked about how buses and subways were completely empty. So when was the last time you used public transportation? Just uh, a couple of days ago, actually. Um, every now and then, I will go to a meeting, uh, uh, which is a new thing, I guess. So take the train down to Midtown or whatever, to a meeting and back up. That's about it, though. But yeah, I'd probably use it once or twice a week now. What What's it like going on the subway now? Are you super cautious or do you think that it's cleaned and it's pretty safe i think it's fine it's still you know i think they're still getting less than a third of the riders they would pre-pandemic um so there's still pretty empty trains i do double mask it uh and avoid people but you know it's there's definitely more people than there were during the pandemic the subways in new york shut down at night for a portion so they could be cleaned it was the first time that new york had ever shut down the subways at night so there wasn't 24-hour service at the time when we talked about it, you made it seem like it was going to be a really monumental deal. Looking back, was it a big deal? Uh, I don't know if it was a big deal. I don't know how you might define that, but um, it's still not 24 hours. Um, I think it's now shut down two hours a night as opposed to the four. But they just announced actually yesterday that bars, the curfew for bars is now being lifted uh, starting sometime in May. Which then begs the question, if bars can stay open till 4 o'clock in the morning and the subway's not open at 4 o'clock in the morning, how do they expect people to get home and move around? Mm -hmm. So I imagine that change is coming pretty soon. How do you feel about the speed at which New York is opening up versus the rest of the country now? Talking about how the bars, I feel like bars opening, being open till 4 a.m. is almost a uniquely New York situation. The bars here in Florida have been open for a long time, but they close at like midnight, one o'clock, it's not so late. Do you think uh, New York's doing this in a safe way or do you think they can move it faster? What do you think? I think a lot of the stuff relating to bars and restaurants is pretty arbitrary and they just picked on one industry. Like, you know, why, you know, originally I think bars up, up until a month or so ago, bars had to close at 10 o'clock and then they changed it to 11 and now I think it's midnight. But I don't really understand the science of why, you know. And we also, it's required that you order food if you go to a bar. Um, you can't just have a beer, but that is also being lifted uh, with the with the new regulations. That's good. So I just I think it's just some, they just picked on some weird things, like even the clean of the subway every night. I think it's pretty clear now that COVID isn't transmitted as much through touching things. It's very much in the air. So do they really need to spend four hours every night scrubbing every subway? Probably, but not necessarily for COVID. Maybe just for cleanliness in general. <laughs> All right, so there were essentially three surges or waves of the pandemic, the first wave being in March 2020, the second wave being summer, so July, August, and then the third wave being the holiday wave. Which one was your favorite? <laughs> the summer, because I think New York kind of avoided a lot of the peak in the summer. I think that's when we were doing really well um, compared to the rest of the country. And we were kind of sitting back going, yeah, we got this figured out. So I felt pretty confident during that time period. But then we got hit really hard right around the holidays, which made us then question our holiday travel plans because then Florida started getting hit bad and South Carolina. And then it made me think that maybe the end isn't anywhere as close as I thought. Have you felt throughout this that New York is an island unto itself? 
what is i mean <laughs> at, least, at least the part i live on <laughs> but you know what i mean like emotionally and like politically have you felt like new york's been its own thing 100%. or just a section of the larger country i think it's definitely been its own thing and we've we we've taken it very differently i think than a lot of other places and i don't and to be honest i think you know a couple of years when someone studies all this someone will figure out what was for the better and what was not for the better so if you look at the numbers it's really hard to say that New York did that much better than Florida or vice versa. Um, but Florida had a lot more freedoms uh, than we did. So I'm not really sure who was right um, when you break it all down. But it's definitely, you know, having traveled now, it's definitely still very different up here. It's hard to compare the states like Florida to cities like New York City. I mean, that's something people talked about from the very beginning. And that's one of the things that the reason we left LA was because if we walked out of our apartment before we got to the street, we passed six people. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's something that people in Florida just don't do and don't understand. Absolutely. I mean, just as you probably saw just the other day, they changed the mask guidance, right? Um, that you don't necessarily have to wear your mask when you're outside walking the dog by yourself. You know, yes, you might pass people on the sidewalk, but that quick pass isn't enough to do anything. So I've started to play with that some where I'll pull my mask down as I'm walking on the sidewalk because there's no one else around. And I'll be honest, it feels strange because um, I've worn the mask even on an empty block for so long now just because that's where they trained into our heads. Um, and even in my building, you know, to take the elevator down to go, to go outside, you know, there, there might be someone in the elevator. And during the peak of it, originally they just said one family per elevator. Uh, but now it's like if there's one other people or two, maybe max of three people, I might get in, mm-hmm. but, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, eight people cl- squeeze into that. So there's still certain things that were, and of course you have to wear a mask in the elevator and inside the building. Is it, are people pretty much following that everywhere you go? Yeah. I think that's one of the, unique, one of the things about us is there's really no, you know, animosity amongst people about that. The only place where you see it is in where I think hopefully it starts to change is like, being out, outside, you know, I've seen runners get yelled at by little old ladies for not wearing their masks while running through the park. Mm-hmm. I don't think the runners should have to wear their masks while running through the park, you know, mm-hmm. but the science and there's no clear messaging on it. I think that's part of the problem. Do you feel like in New York, you guys are all in this together or that it's every man for himself? I think we're all in this together. Just early on, the spirit of New York was screaming out your window uh, every night to thank the the um yep first, first responders. responders do you do you feel that new york's kept that spirit going i mean we're definitely not doing that anymore i can't even tell you when that ended um but it just kind of faded away but yeah I, mean, I think there's definitely a sigh of relief every time something else opens and the fact that you know people are still wearing i like wearing the mask all the time and you don't really see at least in new york city you know you're not seeing those viral videos of people getting yelled at at Target for not wearing their masks and that type Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, we haven't really had any of that type stuff, which I think just shows the the community aspect and acceptance of the whole thing. I want to kind of go down this rabbit hole of the politics of 2020 and like adherence to these measures. Um, So in 2020 politics were huge and I was completely consumed. And uh, I'm bringing this up to you because I kind of blame you. You turned me on <laughs> during our first podcast to the podcast Pod Save America, which uh, definitely made me more in tune with the news, but also like almost like a, 
I was a, I was definitely addicted to Pod Save America. It was my lifeline, especially being in Florida, just listening to what they said grounded the world around me. Um, so I want to ask you some questions about politics because I know that you're really big into this too. Uh, I guess my first thing would get would go back to the beginning. Your governor Cuomo not looking so great right this second, but the first few <laughs> months, like I lived for his daily updates. Did you do that, or, or uh, did you did you like his updates when they're daily way back in the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. I got sucked into that. I think like a lot of people did. Can you look back at those now fondly, or do you only look at those as he also screwed this other stuff up? So that's not a positive experience anymore. I still think the way he presented the message was right, and it's what we needed because we weren't getting that from the federal government, right? Mm-hmm. So here's someone who actually comes in with a clear. Here's the plan. Here's what we're doing. Here's why you need to do this. I think that was very helpful. And I think that's why New York accepted it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still practicing a lot of that today. Um, obviously, he's made a lot of mistakes in other things. Um, we're on the nursing homes and all that type of stuff. But I still think his the way he presented the message was effective. I really appreciate you saying that because I've had a hard time reconciling that. People that uh, maybe you know, we're around a lot of people in, in Florida that weren't as locked down as LA was. And so he was like a huge lifeline for me. And so it, I've been made to feel like a crazy person that I would ever have had positive thoughts about him. But I do feel like at the time, like you said, I needed that daily update to be, be this is how we're doing things. This is what's going forward. Cause Newsom did the daily update, but he did it so late in the day that by that time, all this stuff had been enacted. Right. How did you cast your ballot this this last year? Uh, I went to a polling place. Oh, really? Yeah, I voted in person. How long was your line? Uh, no line. Walked right in. So um, I know this about you. You did not vote for Trump. Um, I don't think either of us uh, know anybody except maybe our parents who are fans of Trump. Not mine. Well, oh, so. In case they listen, not mine. I guess we don't know anybody but my parents who were fans of <laughs> Trump. Um, but uh, here's the question. Here's here's a, a, the question. Biden was elected president, but he wasn't confirmed as president until 2021. Things were already going in a certain direction, possibly. Do you think that we'd be where we are now uh, with vaccinations, with opening things up, if Trump were still president? Do you think things would be vastly different if he had uh, won the election? Oh, that's a good question. Um I do. Um, I just don't think that he proved that he had the, or his administration had the ability to roll out a, a large plan and uh, execute it like they have with the vaccines and whatnot. Um, and, and provide a clear message. I think he would still be doing things like, oh, I'm not going to send vaccines to New York because Cuomo said something mean about me. You know, there's, there's none of that now. Um, and it certainly hasn't been a perfect rollout, and I have a lot of issues with the vaccine rollout in general, but I do think we're in a better place, and I think part of it is the more positive energy towards it. So I think places like New York and L.A. and some of those more liberal hubs, you know, frankly, are trusting the process more than they might have if it was a Trump thing. And getting these big population centers vaccinated, I think, is a key step in that. How, since the election, how have you felt? Politically, have you felt you needed to watch more news, less news? Have you felt disconnected, more connected? Uh, I would say less connected. I think a lot of us just needed to breathe after all that was over. Um, I still listen to the regular pods, Pods America and Love It or Leave It and whatnot. But 
not as urgently, you know, if I miss one a week, then I don't feel the need to go back and re-listen or, you know, find out what I missed. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think is a bad thing. You know, I think it will, again, it will ramp up again closer to elections, uh, midterms and whatnot, but it is nice to not worry as much. So uh, prior to the election, throughout the rest of the year, how did you feel like connected to the rest of society? We, we've talked about New York being kind of its own place, but obviously the entire country was rocked by a bunch of other social upheaval activities. Uh, Black Lives Matter. There was a uh, storming of the Capitol. Um, how have you, have you felt connected to that? Or since New York's, again, kind of been a thing unto itself, have you felt a little bit distant from it? No, absolutely connected. Um, especially my neighborhood. I, I live literally half a mile, you know, just a few blocks from, uh, the mayor's mansion, the crazy mansion where the mayor lives, um, which the park that surrounds his house, uh, which is where we take our dog 90% of the time, became the focal point for the the, the center of the New York City Black Lives uh, Matter protests um, and gatherings. So they turned part of that park into a memorial plaza uh, where they had photos of various people and and different slogans, and they still gather there relatively regularly, um, holding, you know, speeches and rallies and whatnot. So sometimes willingly, sometimes unwillingly when just walking the dog and all of a sudden, oh, there's another protest going on. <laughs> Absolutely felt, felt right there. Yeah. All right. Well, Jackson, it hasn't all been bad in 2020. We've discovered a lot of things about ourselves, or at least I have, and uh, people I know. Um, can you share like one success you had beyond buying a car? Uh, like what's one thing that you've done that you're like really proud of or something you've accomplished? And bonus points if it's just something small that's really important to you? I think, you know, I think I would say that home life is a good life. It's something that I, I enjoy. You know, I used to think that one of the reasons I lived in New York is I had to go out every single night. I had to go do something. I had to go be part of that energy. Um, I certainly miss a big chunk of that energy. I can't wait for some of those unique New York events to happen again. But being home, you know, with my family on the couch, watching movies, cooking dinner together, you know, uh, I love that. And that's, you know, that's a big part now. And I think having this time to, to realize that uh, has been good. Jackson, I think you did really good during this pandemic. <laughs> I think you did really good during this pandemic. What's your favorite way to refer to the time to come looking ahead? Do you, uh, do you like to call it um, back to normal? Uh, do you like to call it uh, something uh, like a, a new, a new, a new normal? What? How do you like to refer to when when the pandemic's gone? I feel like in daily conversations and work conversations, I use the term you know new normal or back to normal. It's there will definitely be some changes, I think, but I think that'll just be in the short term, and I think a lot of it will eventually fade away because that's what we tend to do. We tend to forget big things and go back to the way they were. So, Jackson, knowing what you know now, if you could go back to the week before the pandemic and teach yourself something, impart some knowledge, or give yourself something, what would that be? That would have been to already have pre-scheduled grocery deliveries already in the works. Because by the time it got bad and we, you know, there was nothing in the grocery stores, like you couldn't get of the two big grocery delivery apps here in New York, you couldn't get time slots for those for weeks or months uh, in the future. So there were literally some periods where we were like, how are we going to get groceries right now? Oh, wow. But if you had already had slots, you would have been good to go. So I wish we had, you know, that already set up. Super pragmatic. All right. Are you are you vaccinated yet? Where are you on this whole 
on the whole getting well, getting over this thing? I am fully vaxxed. Okay, so you're vaccinated. You're just starting to take your mask off out outside when you're on a street all by yourself. What are what are two or three things you see yourself accomplishing in the next two years as we get out of this? I think the biggest thing over the next two years is going to be figuring out New York uh, and what the city comes back to and how much of that makes it home. Because right now, I mean, the biggest thing I've realized right now during this, the shutdown, if you will, is that, of course, I love New York, but a lot of the things that you love about New York aren't happening right now. Like we talked about the theater, the concerts, or even simple things like the New York City Marathon, you know, that was canceled. That's one of the best days of the year. The tree lighting, you know, pride festivals, all these things that are, you know, unique to living up here and the energy that happens when you just walk down the street and all of a sudden there's a random festival happening on the corner. None of that's happened for the last year. So now I just feel like we spent the last year paying a whole lot in rent and food and other expenses to to live in a city that could be Des Moines. No offense to any listeners from Des Moines. Um, so how much the city can bounce back and bring that energy back and make it worth paying the prices to live here again? Do you have like a litmus test or like a, like a canary in the coal mine that you're keeping an eye out for? No. I mean, I think, you know, they're saying, you know, a lot of the stuff is going to start coming back in September and October and, you know, that type of stuff. So I think it's just how much we adapt our lives to going back to doing those things, or we find that, Hey, you know what? We did that. Now we can move somewhere a little less cost, a little less crazy or, you know, whatever. I think that's, we'll be, we'll be figuring that out. Well, Jackson, you kept a really good head on your shoulders. It sounds like you've built a nice little house that you love being in. You have a cute dog, you take long drives and you figured out how to go outside comfortably, even to meetings and on the subway. I'm going to grade your test real quick. Looks like you passed. You're going to be accepted into (laughs) post-pandemic life whenever that is. Congratulations. Thank goodness. All right. We're going to take a little break. And then when we get back, we're going to go through Jackson's top three things to stream, which I'll say is, um, you know, not especially surprising, but yet at the same time, uh, very refreshing. Okay, here's the pitch. Aaron, we love to talk about movies, but uh, what is a movie that everyone loves that you've never seen? Beetlejuice. You? Uh, Hunt for Red October. Oh my God. (laughs) I almost, I've actually never been ashamed of anyone in my life. I'll never sit through that movie. I know you love it. It's literally a perfect film. Listening to the Corn Stream, you've gathered that I love talking about movies, and that's because I love making movies, which is why we created the Hollywood Adjacent Podcast, to figure out how great movies get made and watch them and learn how they work. Like, do you not get it? What's going on? Is it... So each episode, we examine a new movie and break down one scene discussing the impact of the scene, uh, as well as the elements of camera, story, and acting, and how they tell a story. Like, for instance, with Hunt for Red October, I think that the movie moves too slow and is somewhat dated in the way it talks about war. Well, yeah, because the Cold War doesn't exist anymore. Have you seen Downfall? It's about the last five days in Hitler's bunker. It's not really about the war. It's about what's going on in the bunker. And it's so good they draw you in. You're like... If the Allies would just back off, Hitler could totally get back on his game and maybe... And you're like, oh my God, did I just cheer for Hitler? (laughs) So Aaron, what are we talking about right now on the podcast? What's coming up? The next episode we're doing, we're going to discuss the Oscars. 
And then after that, the next episode of film, I'm really excited to talk about The Sound of Metal. Check out our podcast, Hollywood Adjacent Podcast, on the service that you're listening to this on right this second. And now, back to Cornstream. Welcome back to Jackson's Top 3 Things to Stream. Jackson, before we get to the list, I want to find out what kind of person you are. During the pandemic, there were some shining stars in entertainment, and I need you to pick a number one, your gold medal show, movie, or series. Was it Tiger King, Queen's Gambit, or Bridgerton? I only watched one of those, so Tiger King, I guess. You didn't watch Queen's Gambit? Jackson, you are robbing yourself. Go watch Queen's Gambit. You'll I know, really it's like it. on the list. I have one more question before we get into your list. You're one of the first people I talked to, uh, and you're still one of the first people I know who really embrace streaming concerts, at least early on. Um, back on day 11, you just streamed a Dave Matthews Band show and said that it, the experience was great because it was live and there was nothing else live on TV. The only other thing live was news. So by now, everything that is live is back on TV. Do you still stream concerts? Are you still into online experiences? Yeah, I've done a few. Um, and yeah, I still find them fun. I haven't done as many as I probably would have thought. I think to your point that there is other live content back out there um but uh even this past weekend i saw somehow an end up on my social that i guess there was a live corn stream from los angeles at the um uh stranger things thing and i was like that sounds intriguing i'd be into that but it was like 40 dollars. i'm like i don't know if i really want to pay 40 dollars to watch corn play on my tv <laughs> but i was <laughs> i was intrigued for a minute but the the price tag to see corn was way higher than your interest <laughs> I think I paid less to see corn in person. <laughs> I think everyone's paid less to see corn in person. <laughs> All right. You sent me your list of top three things to stream and one thing to skip. Are you ready to go through it? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Jackson's top three things to stream right now in a uh, pandemic-ish situation. All right. Number three. Last Week Tonight, which is available to stream on HBO Max, this show takes a satirical look at the weekend news, politics, and current events. Its host is John Oliver. Jackson, I'm a huge fan of Last Week Tonight, or at least I was. He has changed a lot over the pandemic. So what do you like about this now, now that it's a very different show than before? I I, I need to put that to you. How do you think it's so different? I feel like he is much more alarmist about the things he talks about. I think him doing the show from the white void is uh, is kind of uh, hard, which I realize he has to do what he has to do. Um, I don't know. I think maybe just being in a pandemic and having him take on these huge issues that I can do nothing about most of the time is like like a heart palpitation that I don't need to have. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um I, I just really enjoy it. I think his, yeah, some of his deep dives, even those set segments, you know, sometimes I can I agree with you. I can give it an eye roll or like, okay, yeah, this is, this is heavy that you haven't had a joke in at least five minutes of going through this. Um, or he does throw in a joke, but it's completely just random because he knows he needs to. But I, I do think his perspective is still good. I think his, it's just, I don't know. I, I, he makes me happy. And you pick this show over the Tre- the Trevor Noah show? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't watch Trevor Noah as much as I probably should. I, I do see a lot of viral clips and stuff on, on the Twitter, but it's not part of my regular watch. 
which is also I think is a good thing. You know, with last week tonight, I like it being one episode. You know, mm-hmm. I was religiously watching with John Stewart on the Daily Show, but even then, four or five nights a week, it's it's a lot to keep up with. Oh yeah, uh, last week tonight versus Love It or Leave It. Pick a victor. Love It or Leave It. Oh yeah, that's my boy. I love Love It or Leave It. Oh that 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 show <laughs> literally just makes me laugh. Every time I put it on, I get so excited for Saturdays. Absolutely. All right, your number two pick is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is available to stream on Hulu and TBS. Synopsis is Detective Jake Peralta, a talented and carefree cop with the best arrest record, has never had to follow the rules too closely or work very hard. That changes when Ray Holt, a man with a lot to prove, becomes the new commanding officer of Brooklyn's 99th Precinct. Okay, Jackson, what made you click this? Similar to a lot of those shows like Schitt's Creek and Good Place and stuff, people just said, oh my god, you haven't watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine? You gotta get on that. And so one night I just started watching it, and uh, it's spectacular. Did, it, did it. it take you a couple episodes to get into it? I don't think so. I think we dove right in, and I don't remember there being a lull. What shows are kind of similar to this? You said Schitt's Creek. Is, is it the same tone as Schitt's Creek, or what, does, what, what kind of shows have a similar tone to this? You know, of the comedy type shows that we watch, you know, I think we talked about some of the last one, you know, uh, Love the Office, Love Parks and Rec, Love Schitt's Creek, and Love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know you suggest a good place. That's one I, we've tried and tried. I still can't really get into I think we finished the first season, but I didn't really feel the need to turn on season two yet. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just, it just flowed. I don't know what the magic formula is. I just want to say something to get my street cred back on The Good Place. I don't know if it is a great show but i do know the writing is fantastic so there were often times where i could just close my eyes and hear them say the stuff because what was actually happening in each episode was not as as interesting to me as what they were saying on screen yeah all right fair enough in brooklyn 99 i like i just feel like they pack so much into a 22 minute episode or whatever it is you know i'll sit there and like for some reason for like 15 minutes in, I'm like, wow, we're still in this one episode and they, they've done all these things. I just, it, it, <laughs> each little episode is a nice little little story. It's, it's fun. I'm going to be honest. I've wanted to watch this for a long time. I think I've clicked on it a couple of times and never made it through like the first minute just because something comes up. So I think this is going to be the push that sends me over the edge. Thank you for giving me something to watch because I need something when Jay goes to sleep or goes to sleep with Augustine and I don't want to stay up for hours watching something long. I need something just to pop on that's going to like, you know, lift my spirits. Yeah. I think it's great. All right. Your number one pick for something to stream is Downton Abbey. It's available to stream on Prime and Peacock. Now, with this suggestion, are we talking the show or the movie or both? All of it. Yeah. Okay. Downton Abbey, in case anyone doesn't know, which seems impossible, is a historical drama following the lives of the Crowley family and their servants in the family's Edwardian country house. Is this something you started watching during the pandemic or is this, have you been a fan of this for a long time? No, just started during the pandemic. Really? Like, let's pick this one up. Yep. And in that next year, we watched the entire series and the movie. How did the movie stack up to the series? I enjoyed it. It was just a nice long two-hour episode. All right. Now, do you have a favorite season? I know the seasons move dramatically through the years. I don't. I mean, just because I, I honestly, if you ask me right now, I can't tell you what happened in season three versus season two um, or season five. But I, I really just thought just, the consistency all the way through, I thought was good. Okay, awesome. All right, so those were Jackson's top three things to stream. Let me recap real quick. Number three was Last Week Tonight. Number two is Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And number one is Downton Abbey. Now we're going to add something new to the list this week. It is something that you suggest avoiding like a plague. 
your suggestion actually came out uh, almost rapid fire. It is a crime scene, a vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It's This is a Robbery, it's Heaven's Gate, and it's Murder Among Mormons. But it's much wider than that. In general, you are over docu-series about murder. Yeah, I wouldn't say avoid like the plague. I want to add a little caveat there. I think all four of those, and there's others, have, I've watched them all, and they all, they all have good elements and good s- stories. But I think as a whole, the genre of docuseries is just getting out of control where we take every little topic, what could have been a two hour documentary and turn it into a six hour show. And I think a lot of them don't have the content to do so, which we even talked about in the first episode about big millions, which I thought was great, but it didn't need six hours worth of content. It could have been told four. So I just think people love it. So it's just become clickbait for all these streaming services. I agree. It's also something that you can make with relatively little interaction between people. So this is just editing uh, for a lot of it. Um, but I do feel like you're on to something here uh, that all this stuff is getting stretched out much longer than its narrative goes. However, reviewers haven't really changed their mind. So I feel like every one of these things is like, watch this. This is great. Watch this. This is great. And then it's all the same. They could do they could do it in 120 minutes or just three episodes, but they're all like so long. Yeah, and there's still ones I'm excited about, and you know I'm not going to give up on it. I just think you know a general PSA out there to the people making these is, I think they're going to oversaturate the market, and we're just going to stop clicking. You know, when Making of a Murderer came out, however long ago, that was such a unique thing, kind of like the first season of Serial on podcast that definitely they found a formula that worked. But now everything doesn't need. You know, I don't know if there's one. Um, about the challenger, which was fascinating, you know, that's right in our era, you know, I, I've seen a lot about it, but it explored a lot of things I did not know, but it was like four 35, 40 minute episodes. Why wasn't that just one long two hour movie? You know, the, I think they just made an episode so you can get more clicks. And I think it's interesting what you said in your email to me about uh, a show like crime scene vanishing at the Cecil hotel, that they follow a lot of other plot lines that kind of get confused and then are never really resolved. They just kind of go off on a tangent and come back. Correct. And that one particularly got me because it wasn't even a crime. <laughs> Nothing, you know, spoiler alert. Well, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, it's not a crime. <laughs> so they, this whole thing was set up around a false premise. And I did not appreciate that. <laughs> All right, Jackson. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. Uh, is there anywhere people can find you so they can get in touch with you and talk about how bad docu-series are or compliment you on your long-standing love of Aaron Sorkin? Uh, not really, I guess. I mean, the regular social streams, but I don't really use those. All right, Jackson, thanks for being on the show and being for a com- and being a complete black box. Links to Jackson's <laughs> previous episodes, however, are going to be in the show notes as well as some links to what he suggested you watch. Thanks again so much for being on the show, Jackson. I love talking to you. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Cornstream was produced this week by OSI and me, Bobby Christian. Special thanks to Jackson. If you'd like to hear your life and list from Cornstream, reach out to me on Instagram at Civil Matador or find us at cornstream.in. And remember, this will end, so enjoy it while you can.